A few years ago, I heard a, a comedian share an, uh, an experience about one time when he lost, the airline lost his luggage. How many of you guys have ever lost your luggage or had the airlines lose your luggage? Not that you lose them, hopefully you're not losing them, but your airline lost the luggage. Now that's got to be a pretty miserable job to have to be the person running the desk at baggage claim, right? Because everybody that comes in there comes in with the same problem. And baggage claim person's probably like, let me guess, you're angry? <laughs> right? Everybody's angry when they're coming in because it's like, you don't have my bag. But you, this comedian talks about how he knew that he needs to bring in uh, comedy and at least try not to, uh, to be angry about it uh, when, when he comes in because he wants them to do something about it. <laughs> and so uh, he squelches his anger and the baggage claim person will immediately say, how can I be of service to you? And he's like, well, you see, I gave my bag to you a couple hours ago, and it ain't spinning around on that thing, <laughs> right? So I'm wondering what kind of craziness I need to prepare for. And uh, the comedian uh, kind of sits back, and the, the person running baggage claim will sit there and, like, oh, well, let's see. Uh, well, it doesn't look like uh, your bag made it on this flight. It must have missed the connecting flight. Uh, you know, there's the flight that's coming in tonight. Maybe it'll be on there. If not, it'll be in in the morning. We'll drive it to your, your hotel. But in the meantime, you don't have to worry. We have this for you. And he reaches down under the, the counter and pulls out this little bag about this big with a zipper on top. And it says, Essentials Kit. And the comedian looks at it and he's like, oh, those are the essentials. Well, then I overpacked. <laughs> right? I thought it was all those things I meticulously put in my suitcases that were the essentials for me. I stand corrected. I see, uh, I think uh, we can kind of struggle with that a little bit too. But here's the thing, with the essentials kit, what would have happened if you actually found an essentials kit, right? Oh, did you hear about Louis? We haven't seen him in a while. Oh, you didn't hear? Louis happened upon an essentials kit. It was filled with love, shelter, and food. He's set for life, right? If we uh, actually had an essentials kit, we wouldn't have to worry about a lot of things in this world. And that's what we're going to be addressing today. Unfortunately, the focus we have on the essentials can also lead to struggling with the non-essentials, right? Some of the essentials and the non-essentials kind of come together and we find ourselves worrying about things, fixating on things. Students worry about uh, how they did on a test. They worry about how their parents are going to respond to how they did on the test, right? Uh, parents worry about how uh, their, uh, their children are going to handle difficult situations in life, how they're going to uh, grow and become an adult. Will they be a responsible adult? People worry about how people think of them, what people view of them. Adults worry about job performance, their 401ks, their future. Sports fans can worry about their sports teams, get all worked up about how things are going to go, that season's going to go. I don't worry about that because my team stink. 
We can worry about the coronavirus, political unrest, climate change, social acceptance, job security, taxes, college costs, healthcare costs, neighborhood safety, and moral decay. Some of you worrying if I'm ever going to finish this list. You get my point? There's a lot we can be worrying about. In fact, a lot of times we find ourselves just filled with worry as we continue to think about all the things that we have going on in our life. Well, I've got a question for you. If you're sitting here today and, and you think this applies to you, and if, I think if we're honest, to some extent this applies to all of us, the question is, are you sick of being worried sick? What would you do if you didn't have to worry about the essentials? And how do we overcome the struggle of worrying about them? Can peace be achieved in a world with so much we can worry about? Today, as we continue our study in Matthew, we wrap up Matthew chapter 6. We see we're uh, right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' famous sermon that gives us a glimpse of what uh, it looks like to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. It's a life that's countercultural. It's flip-flopped from normal. Jesus explains that the kingdom looks radically different than a, a citizen of the kingdom looks radically different than a citizen of the world. Jesus tells us that blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the seek or the meek, uh, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, those who pursue the, the pure heart, the peacemakers. And we're blessed even if we're persecuted. Even if we're experiencing difficulties in this world, we are blessed. He says the kingdom citizens are salt and light of the earth that will transform this world. That means letting Anger and lust drive our life is unacceptable because they go against the values of a kingdom citizen who should be focused on reconciliation, transformation, commitments, letting our yes be yes and our no be no. We should love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. He tells us that we should give because we have received so much from the king And our reward shouldn't be a human applause. Great job. Good job giving. Our reward should be the benefit of participating in something greater as we do the king's work. We get the great responsibility to be able to contribute to doing the work of the king. And we get to look forward to the blessings uh, when we get to heaven When we pray, we should be in awe, and uh, we should be in awe and, and filled with joy that the God of the universe would entertain a conversation with little old me. We should acknowledge God as holy, and I am but a humble servant. We need to depend on the Father for our daily needs and submit to His will and not ours. When we, uh, when we do this, 
we realize that we're dependent on him for everything that we have. Everything that we have is a blessing from him. And as a result, we shouldn't lay up treasures in heaven because the things of this world don't compare to the incomparable, unchangeable, or unmatchable uh, treasures awaiting us in heaven. And as a result, we begin our passage with Jesus telling us the simple and yet incredibly difficult phrase, do not worry. Why? Because the kingdom of God is nothing like this world has that nothing is nothing like this world has to offer. And the king, our savior, has a better plan than we can bring about ourselves. Jesus uh, begins our passage with these words in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Now, in most other translations uh, besides the ESV, they, they translate the word that you see anxious here that I just read here, anxious as worry. And I think that's a better translation, uh, not because it's, it's wrong to, to uh, be anxious. I just think that it brings about a, a medical uh, struggle. People can have anxiety, and it's, it's, a lot of times anxiety is something that's built upon having just a lot of things going on in our life. And uh, there's a difference between just having a lot of pressure upon us, having this uh, feeling, feeling anxiety because we've got so much going on, and being over-concerned with something, worrying about something. What Jesus is, is discussing here, I think, is being over-concerned with it, worrying about these things. And so when, when, I, when we read uh, this in the ESV and it says anxious, I, I want you to think worry. Uh, Therefore, I tell you, do not be worried about your life. Do not worry about your life. But as I read it, I'm not going to change the translation, so it's going to say anxious, but I want you to hear worry when I say it. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing, We'll actually see two illustrations that Jesus brings up to help us to understand why we don't need to worry. We don't need to uh, be over-concerned with things of this life. And the first one is the worry uh, of food, the essential of food. One of the, it's an essential thing, right? Having food on our table. We, we need it to live. It's an essential. But there comes a point, Jesus shares that we can be over-concerned with it. We can make it something more than it needs to be. And as we uh, continue uh, looking at verses 26 and uh, 27, we see uh, that Jesus says this, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? 
Jesus helps us to see that people can fixate on sustenance. It's something that we find ourselves doing. We fixate on it. And uh, at the same time, even though people can fixate on sustenance, God provides for the sparrows. The birds of the air. God's providing for them. Now, as I read this, I found it a little bit challenging because we live in 21st century, 21st century America where we have refrigeration, airtight containers that protects our food. We can store it into a closet. And as we do that, uh, we're not as concerned about where our next meal comes from. Not to mention we're wealthier than 99% of the world. And as a result, we're not uh, worked up about how we're going to provide our, our next meal. But I once uh, had a, a dear friend who, who told me something that I thought, uh, at first I didn't want to believe it, uh, but I think she's right. Uh, she told me that I was making food an idol. I'm like, I live in Chicago, it's hard not to, right? <laughs> but I was making food an idol. And, and I think there was a time uh, when I didn't want this to be true, but as I processed it a little bit more, I realized she was right. Food wasn't just something I was dependent on, I needed for life. It was something that uh, I found myself, I guess, kind of becoming a, a restaurant snob, right? Uh, oh, no, I don't want to eat there. I don't, right? I, I would rather eat somewhere else. And we start worrying about all these things, like, oh, should I eat this? Should I eat that? Right? And we start becoming more concerned about our food than, than we really ought. And I started spending money on, uh, not started, I was spending money on things that I probably didn't need. Uh, I was uh, spending money, that, the resources that God had provided for me uh, to be able to use for his kingdom, I was looking at it and saying, well, you know what, I've earned this. This is something I, I can do. I can spend my money on food and drink, right? And my drink of choice that uh, really kind of pulled me in is the Diet Coke, right? Uh, for some of you, you're like, that is disgusting, right? That is a terrible drink. What are you talking about? But for those who have the same taste as me, you understand my pain, right? It's something that can kind of be uh, a little bit of an addiction, right? It's something that I thoroughly enjoyed. I grew up drinking it as a kid, and it's something that I enjoy now. But I realized I was spending money on that. My cupboards were full of it, and, and I had gotten to the point where I, I, was, I realized that I, instead of just drinking water, I was spending more and more money the resources that God had given to me, I would spend it on things that I didn't need to spend money on. And so as I thought back to it, I thought, you know what, I think she's right. I think I have made food more than I should. And again, let's face it, the food in Chicago is delicious, right? It's hard not to have that struggle. So I think whether we fixate on food because we're concerned uh, that we won't be able to provide for ourselves or for our family, or we fixate on food uh, because we've making it, we're made it more than we should, we're all tempted to fixate on this problem. Yet Jesus tells us that we aren't to fixate on sustenance like the world does. He does this through an illustration of the birds of the air. In 
He talks about how the birds of the air, they neither sow nor uh, gather into barns. And as we think about that, think of that illustration, right? You've got birds who are creating their own barns, and they're, they're building it up, and, and you've got uh, the birds going out and, like, planting their own fields and getting their food, and then they're, like, going around collecting it and then put it in there, right? They're not doing that. How do they get their food? The way that Jesus describes it is that it's just the Lord provides. The Lord is providing for them. And now, uh, birds are incredibly industrious creatures, right? Anybody ever plant grass only to see that the grass seed disappears, right? They're going at it. They will go at that grass. They will take out those seeds. The minute that you put them down, they are already there. They can smell it from the garage as you're walking out, right? They are going at that grass seed. And that's one of the ways that they are provided for, by working hard. God isn't just dropping worms from heaven. That's not how the, the birds are provided for. Imagine that, right? You're walking out like, oh, God's just feeding the birds, <laughs> right? What happened to you? I was walking through a bird feeding. It was a mess. Right? You don't see birds building barns to store their food, nor do you see God dropping worms from sky uh, into the mouths of the birds. But yet... Through their, their hard work, God is providing for them. God provides uh, for us through hard work, but we aren't to fixate on our work, fixate on the results of our work. Colossians 3.23 tells us that whatever we do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Yet for some of us, we make our work more than just a means to meet our needs. Instead, we fixate on acquiring more and more and building up more and more and filling up our barns more and more. Not that you have barns, but figuratively having barns filled up with our treasures, creating a stockpile and accumulating wealth. We do this to the point that our worry ends up shortening our life instead of lengthening it. Which of you by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life. Most of the time, our worry actually shortens our span of life, not lengthens it. He continues by giving us the second worry. The second worry when it comes to our essentials is our clothing. The essential of clothing. Now, I don't think that Jesus is just addressing clothing here. I think he's actually addressing uh, something a little bit more. But let's read this. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. How they grow, they neither toil nor spin, Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? I think that what Jesus is addressing here 
is our second worry with the essentials of clothing, is that people can fixate on more than just clothes, but it can become a status. What you put on, the way that you present yourself, what you wear, that becomes a status. And I think if we're looking at it within the context of a status, it's more than just your clothing, but the way that you look, the way that you present yourself, the things that you're, in our culture, the things that you drive. Your home can be a status symbol. Your uh, home decor can be a status symbol. The things that we collect can become a status symbol. The way that you presented yourself in biblical times would also indicate your value, right? That was something that, that people would do, the way that they, they would look. And a lot of times, the, 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 the bare-bones clothing that you could attain was, was uh, typically uh, not the nicest of, of material. It wasn't the, the most brilliant colors. Adding color to your clothes was something special. That's why uh, the, the royalty would have the, the clothes that were covered in purple or were, were colored with purple dyes. It was something that would add status. And when add status, your clothing, the way that you looked, would also add value in some people's minds. My value is in what I wear. And my... Uh, concern for us today is that in our, in our culture, what we drive, uh, the, the way that we uh, live, the way that we present ourselves, we find ourselves at times struggling with this concept that my value is in my stuff. Well, people fixate on value, or on status, sorry, uh, but God provides nature's splendor, Right? All of the things that uh, Solomon was able to do, Jesus tells us it doesn't compare to a field of wildflowers. I don't know if you guys have ever uh, just been in awe. I know I, I love actually just going out into nature and seeing a place that is kind of, it's undefiled. It, it hasn't, humanity hasn't really gone in and destroyed it or anything. And to be able to just look out at God's creation and you just sit there, and you're just like, this is so amazing. So amazing. And if God can make the fields with wildflowers that are here one day and gone tomorrow, how much more can you find your value in him, the one who can be the source of our, our status. Things that right now look beautiful somewhere down the line will no longer look beautiful. In fact, one of the effects of sin is that everything is marred for uh, marred by sin and, and set to be destroyed. A lot of these things that we try to hold on to, we try, I mean, have you guys ever uh, gone to, uh, uh, for me, uh, growing up in Michigan, going out to Detroit, seeing a place that all of these buildings and all of these homes, like they must have looked beautiful at some point. But somewhere down the line, 
things decayed, things were destroyed, and they no longer hold their beauty. And to think that somebody put so much energy, so much effort into those things, only to find that it's not holding its value. That's the effect of sin. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. But what, uh, what Jesus is telling us is that if we are a kingdom citizen, if you put your faith in Jesus and you follow him and you make Jesus uh, the, the Lord of your life, you no longer will find yourself pursuing the things of this world. And that brings us to uh, verses 31, uh, sorry, 30, 31 and 32. And that's that as a result of all of these things that we think that we can find value in, we can find our, our, our uh, status in, if we're truly being honest, we realize that those things are meaningless, we strive for things only to get them, and when we get them, we think, well, that wasn't really worth it. And if we look at verses 30 through 32, we see that God is the source of our security. God provides security. Scripture continues, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Now, why would they be throwing this into the oven, by the way? They used it to, to, to bake their bread, typically. That was the fuel source that they would use. They would go out into the field, things that were beautiful at one point, chop it down, let it dry out, bring it inside, or bring it to their ovens, I guess probably not inside, uh, and, and throw it into their ovens, and then they would burn it. Get a lot of air in there, try to make it heat up, and then it would bake their bread. That's what Jesus is alluding to here. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Our security needs to be found in him, our, our provider, the one who cares for us, the one who designed us. He's the one that we should seek our status from, not, not the things of this world. And that brings me to uh, an image that I want you to think of. It kind of alludes uh, here to this, but this image of the scale of value. Now, like an old school scale that you have like uh, almost like a teeter-totter thing, and, and you've got uh, all of the stuff that's been created, everything that's, that's, uh, that's been created, all the things that bring beauty, the, the birds, everything that God takes care of, the birds, the, the fields, all of nature, all of that stuff, we can look at it and say, man, that is so beautiful. And yet, if we really are thinking about it, the way that we understand uh, this, this passage, what is told to us, that as we consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, uh, they neither toil nor uh, spin. Uh, as we, we look at this, we, we're told, uh, where does it say it here, that uh, we are of much more value than them. Sorry, hold on. 
as we look at this and we think of the scale of value, I want you to think of all of those things. I want you to think of how uh, just even in, in a simple verse, verse that you probably have been, been told, John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world. Now, we're not talking about the, all of the things of the world, all of the, the creation of the world, but the people of the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. What's going to happen to all of these other things? They're marred by sin. They're going, the effect of it is that they are going to be destroyed, right? But for the people who are following Jesus, that put their faith in him, they're provided eternal life, right? You are of much more value than the lilies of the field. You are of much more value than anything that was created. You are of much more value God will take care of you. He will take care of the essentials. People are so much more valuable than the rest of creation. You, you know I, uh, how I know this is because he has a kingdom waiting for you. If you put your faith in Jesus, who died for you, who wants to bring you new life, who wants you to understand that as a kingdom citizen, you don't have to just be... Uh, struck with worry and, and, uh, and all of this anxiety that bring, is brought in uh, by all of that. Uh, he loves you, and he has a purpose for you. He wants to bring you a new life, a new perspective, and a new purpose. And as you do this, you realize that the king will take care of you. Those essentials, the king will take care of you. In verses 31 and 32, the passage continue. Jesus says this, Therefore, do not be anxious. This is the, the second time, do not, do not worry. The second time we're commanded not to worry. Do not be anxious. Therefore, do not uh, be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles... Seek after these things, or after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Now the word Gentile here uh, is, uh, as it's been translated, uh, it's, it's somebody who isn't uh, Jewish. Or uh, in a way, it's kind of saying, you know, the rest of the world. Everybody who uh, isn't following God, the rest of the world even the rest of the world seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows you need them all. And so that's why I, I want you to think of a second image. So the first image is this, the idea of the scale of value, right? And everything that's been created, everything that has beauty, everything that you, you can see that is just uh, is majestic, if you uh, have that scale compared to just uh, the humanity, the, the one, uh, uh, if, if you just think of how you yourself has been given this life from Jesus who died for you, you are of much more value than anything else that's ever been created, right? But the second image I want you to think of is the image of a standard, the standard of a kingdom citizen. Now, 
the standard that most people will use uh, is, is the standard of a, a measuring system, a tape measure, right? Now, I bought a tape measure once. I, actually, I bought multiple tape measures. They tend to break a lot because I'm not very good with my tools, right? Um, but I bought a tape measure once, and I thought, you know, all tape measures are pretty much the same. You grab one off of the shelf and it uses it, and it's got inches and, and uh, it's got feet and all of that, right? Well, the one that I had bought was called an easy half tape measure. I had no idea they even existed. But apparently, what it does is it, on one half, gives you the standard measurement. On the other half, it gives you half of the standard measurement. I'm sure that's helpful for some people. It was not helpful for me, right? You ever try to go out and use a measuring tool and you're, you're not trying too hard and you just, you're just, oh, this will be a quick little project and you start doing it. You know what you end up with when you do that? Frustration and failure, right? That's what I ended up finding is that when I was using a standard that wasn't helpful, you end up with frustration and failure. Well, what are we measuring in our illustration here? We're measuring the kingdom citizen. What should a kingdom citizen look like? Well, the Gentiles, the Gentiles will pursue these things. They'll worry about these things. They'll try to, to store up their barns. They'll try to focus on their status. They'll try to, to, to fixate on their uh, sustenance. And as we've been looking at the, the whole uh, Sermon on the Mount that, that we've, we've been looking at, we realize that a kingdom citizen, somebody who puts their faith in Christ, who, whose life is now no longer theirs, they've been dead, raised from the dead through what Jesus has done, their life should look different. The standard that they're living by should look different. The standard of a kingdom citizen should be something that's different. So uh, as we wrap this up, as we wrap up this, this message uh, in the, the last uh, section of chapter 6 of Matthew. What are we supposed to do? Well, most of the time, when somebody preaches, they read the passage and they, they process it and then they look at what it says and they say, well, let me, let me create an application, help lead people to application. In this uh, particular passage, the application is actually straight in our face. One of the things that Jesus does multiple times here, and he'll actually do it again in a few uh, verses, is he says, do not be anxious or do not worry. He commands us that, right? Simple as that. All right, do not worry. I should have just stopped there. My job here is done, right? Just don't worry. You got worried? Don't. Don't worry, right? Jesus gives us this command, do not worry. But then he gives us the ex explanation of why we don't need to worry. We don't need to worry because the Gentiles, they worry. They fixate on their, their, uh, their clothing. They, the Gentiles, they fixate on their sustenance, right? You don't have to worry about that because you know that you have a God who takes care of you. The second part that we see is this... Uh, application that God gives us. He says we must seek God's kingdom. Verse 33 says this, 
but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. All these things you're worrying about, all these things that you've been concerned about, all these things that you've been over-concerned about, they will be added unto you if you seek God's kingdom first. Right? Therefore, again, do not be anxious or do not worry. Do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is the sufficient for the day is its own trouble. That's a little bit of a confusing uh, uh, terminology. When I read it, I was like, I'm too dumb to know this stuff. <laughs> right? I don't understand what this means. And so I looked at a different translation. And uh, in the Net Bible, the way that they translate it, is they, what's happening is that it's kind of personifying tomorrow. It's like a Mr. Tomorrow, right? So then do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Today has enough trouble of its own. All right, uh, and in personifying, it's kind of like uh, you, you've got somebody who's coming after you, Mr. Tomorrow, right? Don't worry about Mr. Tomorrow. You got enough to worry about today, right? Does that help us to worry about Mr. Tomorrow? Well, don't worry about Mr. Tomorrow because he actually has enough to worry about, right? Mr. Tomorrow uh, will worry about itself. Today has enough trouble of its own. So how do we handle worry? One, we just need to have a different perspective. We need to understand that you're valuable to God. We need to understand that we're more valuable than the birds and the the flowers of the field and all of the things that God has created. God has made you more valuable than any of that. And we need to understand that the king's standard is better than the world's standard. And then... If you understand that, as you are told, do not be anxious, do not worry, we're also told to overcome that. What do you do is you seek God's kingdom. Seek God's kingdom. Not the things of this world that are here today and gone tomorrow, but instead find your satisfaction in God's kingdom. Change your perspective. Be ready to sacrifice earthly worries by seeking peace in God's kingdom. So what would you do if you happened upon an essentials kit? You wouldn't have to worry about the essentials any longer. You had everything that you would need. The truth is you have. God is taking care of the essentials for you. God takes care of his people. Do you trust your king? Will you seek his kingdom? Then do not worry about the things of this world. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to trust you. It can be really hard. The standard that we see that the world gives us tries to convince us that we need more, that we... Uh, should pursue different things that we aren't valuable. But if we weren't valuable, then why would Jesus come to die for us? 
Why would he come to show us what true life looks like? If he finds us valuable, and I believe he does, I pray that you'd help us to ignore what the world tries to convince us of. Help us to trust you. Help us to seek your kingdom. Help us to understand that you have something greater for us. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.